Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 110 of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight we'll learn how the Sackville Bagginses managed to expose Bilbo's secret. It sounds like one of those clickbait headlines. Sackville mm. Bagginses exposed 10 secrets of rich and famous hobbits. You'll never believe number three. No, <laughs> number one will surprise you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Obviously, I've seen way too many of those. Folks, we will head on over to the common room momentarily, but first... I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who still mutters, shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder? And things like that, <laughs> Alan Sisto. Hmm, shall I ever record an episode with this co-host again, I wonder? Hey, now, I think I've proven my worth many times over, oh, but hey, yeah, yeah. before he sells the podcast to the Sackville Bagginses, folks, I think it's time for another Tolkien quote of the day. Indeed. Well, I came across this quote recently while reading a, a 2014 article by John Garth. The name of the article was Why World War One is at the Heart of the Lord of the Rings. It was printed in the Daily Beast. Uh, I shouldn't say printed. I should say it was published online at the Daily Beast in July 2014. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Yeah. It just felt so right for this episode. Um, the quote is from letter number 66. And it's uh, one of the series of letters that Tolkien wrote to his son, Christopher, while he was away training for the Royal Air Force. And this one's from May of 1944. And it was a response to a letter that Christopher wrote home, uh, grousing, and that is the word Professor Tolkien oh. used in his response, grousing about military life. Hmm. Professor Tolkien responded with some commiserating about how it was much the same when he was in the service. And then he yeah. kind of went into some philosophical comments about the war and how it will only uh, slowly turn men and elves into orcs. That's mm. not the quote, but that's a, a really fascinating observation. Right. Um, but then in the midst of this very bleak observation about the war, Tolkien said something really wonderful to his son. And that's the quote that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. He said, keep up your hobbitry in heart and mm. think that all stories feel like that when you are in them. You are inside a very great story. Oh, wow. That must have been quite an encouragement for Christopher. It had and to be, and, yeah. and and at such an important time. You know, he was yeah. just having having a rough time, and his mm -hmm. father comes out with something like that, which just had to feel it. It had to it make him feel so It would have been shortly after he was transferred uh, to South Africa, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah, and he was yeah. very depressed by things oh. going on there. It was yeah. just the... Yeah. The place and his his experience there just was not was not no. good all around. And, no. and there's several letters kind of documenting how. Yeah. But I love this quote just especially for this episode because I feel like it's a perfect response to the way Frodo is feeling as we begin the reading today. Hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about this last time. You know, he comes to Crick Hollow feeling scared, yeah, feeling yeah. sad because he has to leave the Shire and he thinks leave his friends behind. Right. Um, and actually, Mary is about to say this pretty soon. He's going to observe very astutely that Frodo is miserable because he has to leave at once and he doesn't want to. Yeah. But what we're going to see very quickly here today is we're going to see Frodo's friends respond in this very hobbitish way. And they're, they're you know, what they're basically saying to him is, I'm paraphrasing here, but they're basically sure. saying, we understand more than you know, and you're not alone. And mm. we're not going to make you face this alone. Yeah, and yeah. before long, Frodo is laughing again. He's in good spirits. He's joking. He's feeling encouraged. And he even says he's happier than I have felt for a long time. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good stuff. I, I, it really is. And I just I love that it's his friends, you know, these really hobbits through and through. Yeah, and they just yeah. refuse to let him be buried under the weight of of all this, this struggle, all this yeah. epic struggle that he's dealing with. Yeah, um, Absolutely. We talked a little bit about Hobbit naivete last time, and I feel like 
in this part of the chapter, we'll see a little bit more of a simple and even almost a kind of a naive loyalty that I think is going to give Frodo a, a strength he needs to keep going. And I think yeah. that 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 example from his friends and that fellowship from his friends is going to make it possible for Frodo to keep up his hobbitry and heart. Boy, you're not kidding. And, you know, and Frodo, just like Christopher, is inside a very great story. It may not feel like it at the time to him in the midst of this sure, fear yeah. and this this dread or this sadness and sorrow about leaving his friends. But, you know, that's how the great stories go. I, I remember, I can't help but think of Sam's observation about the best stories, which he talks about near the stairs of Kirith Ungle. He says, I used to think that they were the things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of a sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back. Only they didn't. Hmm. Boy. Yeah. And does that talk to, to free will and fate right there, too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Just <laughs> Their the, paths the free were laid wills. that way. Their but they paths had lots were laid of that way, but they chose to stay on the path. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that's just, it's great stuff. And, and I just, mm -hmm. I love that quote. And I, I've had it in my head as I've been preparing for this episode. So keep your hobbitry in heart. I love yeah. that. Well, I know we all want to dive in and see Frodo start not turning back again and again, so <laughs> yeah. why don't we go ahead and get on with this reading, shall we? I think we might as well. Let's start exactly where we picked up last time, uh, right after... On that brutal cliffhanger. That wonderful cliffhanger that it's coming out in a minute, whispered Pippin to Mary, and I'm going to pick up right after that. Well, said Frodo at last, sitting up and straightening his back as if he had made a decision. I can't keep it dark any longer. I've got something to tell you all, but I don't know quite how to begin. I think I could help you, said Mary quietly, by telling you some of it myself. What do you mean, said Frodo, looking at him anxiously. Just this, my dear old Frodo. You are miserable, because you don't know how to say goodbye. You meant to leave the Shire, of course, but danger has come on you sooner than you expected, and now you're making up your mind to go at once, and you don't want to. We are very sorry for you. Frodo opened his mouth and shut it again. His look of surprise was so comical that they laughed. <laughs> I can just imagine him, jaw drop. What? Um, yeah. What? 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 And and right away we're back to some good Hobbit fun. You know, yeah, things were just right. starting to get really, really kind of dark and scary, and they, <laughs> they're fun again. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Mary's just like, I'm just gonna lay it all out. He's like, here, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell yeah. you what you're having trouble telling us. Exactly. And boom. Yeah. And goes. then Pippin, of course, starts poking holes and everything. Like, you know, oh, we've known all along. You've been here saying things like, shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder? <laughs> of course, of course, he has to kind of get a little jab in. You, know, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. not been nearly careful or clever enough for that. No, you think you're smart. You think but... you're so smart. Yeah. Yeah. They've <laughs> Pretending been... you'd come to the end of your money, selling the bag end. Yeah. Silly baggins, I should say to the Sackville baggins. It's, it just goes uh, to show, you know, you can't you can't hide from your friends. You can't hide from no. the people who know you best. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's the thing. I mean, it, they're the only ones who are going to notice those differences. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like, um, you know, Daddy Twofoot's going to know that, that Frodo is <laughs> leaving right. the yeah. sire. Uh, but, you know, his close like friends. Like your closest these, friends. Yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah. They're going to be able to catch that there's a difference. And when they catch that there's a difference, they're going to start looking and paying close attention. They're going to start asking questions. They're going to start looking around, looking Watching for and probing. And, yep. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yep, and that's exactly what they've been doing. That really is. They've been paying attention. 
So I'm going to go ahead and have you pick up a little bit after that again, because otherwise we just read the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to have you pick up with Frodo's reaction to, to all of that. All right. Good heavens, said Frodo. I thought I had been both careful and clever. I don't know what Gandalf would say. Is all the Shire discussing my departure then? Like Daddy Twofoot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All the guys down at the Green Dragon. Yeah, Ted Sandyman knows. Everybody yep. knows. No. Oh, no, said Mary. Don't worry about that. The secret won't keep for long, of course, but at present it is, I think, only known to us conspirators. After all, you must remember that we know you well and are often with you. We can usually guess what you are thinking. I knew Bilbo, too. To tell you the truth, I have been watching you rather closely ever since he left. I thought you would go after him sooner or later. Indeed, I expected you to go sooner. And lately we have been very anxious. We have been terrified that you might give us the slip and go off suddenly all on your own like he did. Ever since this spring we have kept our eyes open and done a good deal of planning on our own account. You are not going to escape so easily. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. That's such friendship right there. It is, yeah. <laughs> we know you so well, and you yeah. are not going to get away from us that easily. Yeah. You cannot, you just can't, you're not going to be able to escape without mm -hmm. without us being a part of this. Um, and we knew before you knew that you were going to go after Bilbo someday. Yeah. We, yeah. we, just, we were just worried you were going to leave without us. I've been watching you rather closely for, what, 17 years, yeah. <laughs> 18 years, really, right. is what Mary's saying. And since Bilbo left, yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, but yeah. yeah, this is, you know, where they're, they're afraid that he's going to go off on their on his own without them. And so they're really trying to get ahead of that mm -hmm. with the planning on their own account, so to speak. Yeah. But I, I love Frodo's response to this. I'm going to go ahead and pick up. We are kind of going back and forth in, the, in this conversation, but that's because there's so much to unpack. Frodo yeah. literally thinks they're trying to stop him. Like, you know, you're, you're not going to get away. We're not going to let you leave the Shire, you know. Right. But, yeah. but uh, so Frodo says, but I must go, said Frodo. It cannot be helped, dear friends. It is wretched for us all, but it is no use you're trying to keep me. Since you have guessed so much, please help me and do not hinder me. You do not understand, said Pippin. You must go, and therefore we must too. Mary and I are coming with you. Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you if he didn't trip over his own feet, but you will need more than one companion in your dangerous adventure. In your quest? Your thing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that lets you out, Pip. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well done. That was a well-placed movie reference. Well, you know, every once in a while a good one fits. Another little backhanded... Uh... I mean, it's not even really a backhand. It's not even backhand. It's just a calling flat Sam out, clumsy. Sam's totally <laughs> just, clumsy. Yeah, just like he's he's loyal, but he's clumsy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but again, would, I get the, just the way these guys communicate with each other. They just yeah. they rib each other. They they mess with each other. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. fellowship is solid. You cannot question it. No, from the get go, this is really really sound. The four guys here, they are just they're 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 thick as thieves. Yeah, from the very beginning, absolutely. Again, I I really want to caution people from trying to read allegory. Please don't. But I think he's able to write good friends so well because he had such good friends. You know, it makes me think of the kind of the four oh, yeah. key members of the TCBS. The TCBS, yeah. 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 Definitely. I mean, there no, there is not allegory. You no, can't map. It's not like you can say Pippin you, is, you right. know, you, Christopher Wiseman or something. You can't. Yeah, you can't map specific hobbits onto the members of the TCBS. But no. Definitely, you can you can see some of that resonance. You can see yeah. where he would get some of 
So the wonderful friendship, the life. ribbing, yeah. Yeah. the close observation, the the long time friendship, and 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 the willingness to sacrifice all of that that comes from experience. Because as Tolkien said, even though it's not allegory, a writer writes from his experience. They write what they know. Writers yeah, write absolutely. what they know, and he couldn't write uh, such great friendship like this if he yeah. had not experienced it himself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> Frodo thinks they're trying to stop him. I love that. Yeah. You know, you'd think you'd think he'd know that they want to go like Sam did. He, he, yeah. It's kind of surprising that his first thought is that they want to stop him. Yeah. Maybe deep down he doesn't want them to go. And he's kind of mm, yeah. convinced himself that they would that. never possibly want to go with him. Yeah. Because he doesn't want them to go because he doesn't want them to be a danger. You're right. You're absolutely right. In fact, he he says just about that in this very next paragraph that I'm going to have you read. Okay. Maybe that's where I got that from. Maybe. (laughs) My dear and most beloved hobbits, said Frodo, deeply moved. But I could not allow it. I decided that long ago, too. You speak of danger, but you do not understand. This is no treasure hunt, Hmm. no there and back journey. I am flying from deadly peril into deadly peril. Of course we understand said Mary firmly. That's why we've decided to come. We know the ring is no laughing matter, but we are going to do our best to help you against the enemy. The ring? said Frodo, now completely amazed. Yes, <laughs> what, the what ring. ring? What, what ring are you talking about? Right. Ring? I don't know. What you're, what, I, what? I don't know what you're talking about. What, what ring is this? I know. Ye- <laughs> what is this ring you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the ring, said Mary. My dear old hobbit, You don't allow for the inquisitiveness of friends. I have known about the existence of the ring for years, before Bilbo went away, in fact. But since he obviously regarded it as secret, I kept the knowledge in my head until we formed our conspiracy. I did not know Bilbo, of course, as well as I know you. I was too young, and he was also more careful. But he was not careful enough. Boy, isn't that interesting to think of Bilbo as being more careful than Frodo. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. It's not something I would have originally thought of, but... Certainly about the ring, it makes sense, but it's interesting. And and I guess maybe by the time Mary was old enough to... That's true. Well, by the time Mary was born, Milbo had had the ring for long enough to oh, probably... Oh, yeah. He's you know, 36 at this point, and yeah. it's been 17 years? 17 years since, since Bilbo, Bilbo left. left. And yeah. so now it's been, what, so it's been 60 years all told? Um, or no? It was 60 years. 60 years... years until the the party, so right? So it's seventy seven years, years all told. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Bilbo had had the ring for almost forty years. By the forty time years by the time Mary was born. So yeah, he had he had learned how to yeah. how to keep it secret. He'd learned how to be careful with it. Mary must have been pretty young because you realize doing the math, he was nineteen when Bilbo left. Yeah. So he was a very young Hobbit indeed when he when he mm-hmm. figured this stuff out. Yeah. And when I say figured that out, I mean. Well, you'll hear what I mean in a moment. He means but. <laughs> observed it very observed. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I wish I could see Frodo's, the look on Frodo's face when Mary mentions the ring. I know. I know. <laughs> Jaw drop all the way to the floor, eyes Com- wide open. Completely I, and, and, amazed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's one moment where Elijah Wood's really super wide open eyes would come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the quite big true. freaky eyes, man. Put those back in your skull, dude. Um, <laughs> no, I, I like, I, don't get me wrong. I, 
Elijah Wood did a great job. I'm sorry. Poor just, Elijah Wood. He just, oh, you know, man. has such massive eyes. He does like, have big eyes. It's he's true. like a Muppet. Has, I mean, he seriously. Has big, he has very big eyes. Yeah. yeah. What a moment. What a moment. I mean, it, totally. Yeah. He must have. Great... What would he have felt? The, 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 the gut punch that he would have felt. Not only did they know I was leaving, now they know about the ring. What is going on? So. He's, right now, he's feeling, I think he's feeling two things. He's feeling, wow, I am not as smart as I think I am. No. And he's also thinking, wow, these guys are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Don't you think? I think he's- Yeah, he's, 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 he's starting showing, to come around to that. He's he is. To come around. He is. He's yeah. starting to get interested. You know, you get a little bit of the, you know, the way hobbits tell stories. They like to work the crowd a little bit. Yeah, they that do. That's true. Right after the passage I read, you know, Mary says, if you want to know how I found out, I'll right. tell you. And, and Frodo's interested. Go right. on, he, he says. He says, go on. But he, yeah, yeah. Faintly, I do love that. Says, You're right. He doesn't just continue without permission. He basically says, well, I'll tell you more if you want to know. Yeah, exactly. But you got to tell me that you want to know because I want right. to hear you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know that you're interested in yeah. this amazing story I'm telling you. That's right. Exactly. Make sure you're paying attention. Yeah. I should I should include that whenever I'm talking to my son about something that lasts more than 20 seconds. <laughs> if you want to know the rest, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the rest. And then I'll just wait know. for him to respond. Because half the time he probably won't. It's going to be heartbreaking when he doesn't. I know. I know. That's the thing. I probably can't, just can't endure that. <laughs> so Mary tells him, Mary tells him exactly what it was that 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 caught Bilbo out with the ring. And it was the Sackville Bagginses again. Of course it was. Ruining the day. <laughs> As you might expect. As you might. His, his kryptonite, the Sackville Bagginses. <laughs> so he sees Bilbo and then he sees the, the Sackville Bagginses appear and then Bilbo, hey presto, he vanished. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he, he reappeared. And this is what's crazy. Mary was looking straight at him when he reappeared. The, the, the luck for that. Uh, is interesting, but that's when he caught the glint of gold, and he kept his eyes open after that and figured mm -hmm. it out. Uh, I confess that I spied. He says, "Yes, that's right. I didn't just keep but, my eyes open. I flat out I, spied." But I was, he says he was just a kid. You know, right. of course, he probably wasn't quite as ethical as he is. Now, <laughs> yeah, probably as a grown not. hobbit. Well, we know Frodo wasn't even that ethical as a teenager. I mean, he was a, a fungus thief. That's true. He, he was. was a confessed he was fungus the, thief. He was. <laughs> he was the terror of the Marish. There you go. Until he was beaten. With his slick back hair and the black leather jacket. Oh, yeah. Running around with a gang of mushroom thieves. <laughs> that's, that's a strange image. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's a strange image. That's yeah. a very strange image. Yeah. So he even says that he'd seen the uh, seen Bilbo's old, you know, red book. And Frodo's like, this yeah. is ridiculous. That That's not even possible. Uh, but, but Mary does say, look, I didn't get, it's not like I got to sit around and read the thing. Uh, you know, because he never left it around. Basically, I only didn't get to read it because Bilbo didn't leave it out. <laughs> if he right. did, I would, I would have, have read, read it. it if I'd had a chance. Oh, yeah. by the way, do you have it with you? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, Bilbo took it. But um, it's it's of course it's interesting and not surprising that Mary's the one who's interested in the book, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. He does seem to be the more historically interested Hobbit. Yeah, certainly at this point, he's kind of the book smart one. Certainly at the beginning, and uh, yeah. seems to sort of be the brains of the operation in general. <laughs> he certainly is the planner. You're right. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to go ahead and pick up shortly after that, after Mary uh, continues the story. He says, I kept my knowledge to myself till this spring when things got serious. Then we formed our conspiracy. And as we were serious too and meant business, we have not been too scrupulous. You're not a very easy nut to crack, and Gandalf is worse. But if you want to be introduced to our chief investigator, I can produce him. 
Where is he? said Frodo, looking round, as if he expected a masked and sinister figure to come out of a cupboard. Step forward, Sam, said Mary, and Sam stood up with a face scarlet up to the ears. Here's our collector of information, and he collected a lot, I can tell you, before he was finally caught, after which I may say he seemed to regard himself as on parole and dried up. Sam, cried Frodo, feeling that amazement could go no further and quite unable to decide whether he felt angry, amused, relieved, or merely foolish. <laughs> yes, sir, said Sam, begging your pardon, sir, but I meant no wrong to you, Mr. Frodo, nor to Mr. Gandalf, for that matter. He has some sense, mind you, and when you said, go alone, he said, no, take someone as you can trust. But it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin, to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. But we are coming with you, or following you like hounds. And after all, sir, added Sam, you did ought to take the elves' advice. Gilder said you should take them as was willing, and he can't deny it. I don't deny it, said Frodo, looking at Sam, who was now grinning. I don't deny it, but I'll never believe you are sleeping again whether you snore or not. I shall kick you hard to make sure. You are a set of deceitful scoundrels, he said, turning to the others. But bless you, he laughed, getting up and waving his arms. I give in. I will take Gildor's advice. If the danger were not so dark, I should dance for joy. Even so, I cannot help feeling happy, happier than I have felt for a long time. I had dreaded this evening. <laughs> I love that moment. It's so great. There's it that really happier is. than I have felt for a long time. His, what a relief. His, his, yeah. Yeah. Burden off his, his shoulders. It's yeah. Oh, breathtaking. Their hope and their loyalty. You know, they just, they, they buoyed him up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They've kept his hobbitry in heart. They brought Boy, his hobbitry sure back have. to his heart. That was an excellent, excellent quote to choose for that today, by the way. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. And they're just, they're so, they're just so happy. They're so unquenchably happy through this entire episode. Yeah, um, they really are. You know, I mean, that, talk about the importance of fellowship. I mean, that's, mm. oh, that's yeah, it that, right that's, there. You this know? is all fellowship. I mean, this is mm -hmm. really, uh, you know, we talk about all the various themes that we see in the book and importance of fellowship is one here that is front and center. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is that is sort of the driving theme of this chapter, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's unpack some of the things in this passage. We we get the fact that they can't crack Gandalf, and they were having a hard time even with Frodo, uh, but they were able to to have a chief investigator. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I love his, his nonverbal response. He just stands up and he's just totally blushing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, his motivation was good. I mean, he meant yeah. no wrong. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. he Absolutely. was he was sort of kind of reading between the lines, I think, in Gandalf's instructions. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. Take people you can trust. I think, you know, Sam is is doing what's in Frodo's best interest here. And yeah. and he chose right. I mean, we get Mary's wonderful speech about, you know, trust us to stick to you stick to oh, you through thick and thin. That's beautiful. I mean, that's a massive fellowship moment. I mean, that yeah, is, it is. That's and you just know what? fellowship all over. It is, but it's also, you know, we talked about themes. It's also a fate and free will moment, isn't it? I mean, mm, yeah. these are, because they're hobbits, 
a branch of the human race. They're, they're men mm -hmm. in the sense that they have free will beyond the music, uh, that they yeah. have the ability to shape things beyond what the music had, had defined. It's fate for all else, as the text says in Anna Lindeley. Yeah, yeah. So that means they could have chosen to go with Frodo, chosen to help him, chosen to try to stop him, or chosen to do nothing at all. They have that freedom, and they choose to go with him. So even if the job is fated to be Frodo's, and we'll get to that wonderful line that Elrond says at the Council of Elrond about how, essentially, you have been fated for this, this job, yet if you choose to do it, I will deem your choice to be the right choice. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally both. You're fated to do it, but you can still choose to do it exactly. or not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and so Frodo may be fated to do this, but these three, they're doing this out of their own free will. They're doing this out of their choice. This is, this is yeah, fate and true. free will at the same time. It, it's another yeah. one of those beautiful moments, I think. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 And I love, uh, I, I love Sam's reminder. You need to take the advice of Gildor. You know, you, Gandalf's not around and you really ought to do what Gildor said. Yeah. Which means he was listening. <laughs> Which means he wasn't asleep. <laughs> the whole time. The whole listening time Sam and collecting is so much smarter than he looks. Until, so what was that? The smarter. day before where we yeah. are now in the in the yeah. story? Absolutely. The day before. <laughs> yeah. And, and Which is so, how Mary and Mary and, and Pippin and, and, and Frediger knew all that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it's worth, you know, reminding ourselves what exactly Gildor said to Frodo. He said, right. Do not go alone. Take such friends as are trusty and willing. That's right. And Gandalf's advice was similar. He said, I don't think you need to go alone, not if you know of anyone you can trust and who would be willing to go by your side. Now, mm -hmm. of course, he also told Frodo, be careful of what you say even to your closest friends. <laughs> true. That's yeah. true. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later. And I think, uh, I think Gandalf knew. Yeah. Don't I you think, think Gandalf had to know? He had to that Sam was going to blab on this. And I think he, he was okay with that. I think he, he think knew he that Sam would Sam choose to the blab right to people. The, exactly. To the right That's people. Exactly. Exactly right. He's not going to yep. blab to his dad. He's not going to blab at the, uh, you know, at, at any of the Ted taverns Sandy around Manor, town. No. Yeah. He's not going to tell the Miller. And, yeah. Uh-uh. Can you imagine if he had told Ted Sandyman and <laughs> he'd gotten no. a, a note to Saruman somehow? Ooh, ooh, that's... I mean, because, you know, we don't really yeah. know exactly how long... Saruman has had his clutches in the Shire, but it's it's been it's been for a while. Well, I mean, if we, the Sackville Bagginses got word, they that's, owe their fortunes. Yeah. Uh huh. That's who you mm -hmm. need to worry about is if they that's found true. out the brace girdles and the Sackville Bagginses, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They were they were wealthy because of the influence mm -hmm. of Saruman. That's right. Ooh. Don't even so, want to think about that. Saruman finding out who has the ring and that he's leaving. Oh, what a moment that would have been. Um, I, I I do love Sam's cleverness. In, in trying to retrieve this information. You know, he knew he made a mistake, uh, you know, when he was trimming the, trimming the verge, so to speak, when he was <laughs> eavesdropping uh, at Bag End. And so he played the game a little more wisely. You know, there they are in, uh, in, in Woodhall uh, with the elven party, and he just knows, well, let's see, my master's talking to Frodo. He's not going to say much if I'm awake, so I'm just going to kind of curl up and snore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Never again. He'll Never get again. Next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which would just wake him up and make him mad, but you know. But yeah, that's right. So you got to imagine that the whole time they're going to Mordor, you got to imagine in the middle of the night. Frodo, <laughs> every night Frodo's kicking every Sam. Every once in a while, waking up, kicking Sam just to make sure he's sleeping. You really sleeping? Waiting until oh. he goes back to sleep and then, <laughs> and then, and then doing it again. Sleep. Yeah. Are you awake? 
Yeah. No wonder Sam was so cranky with Gollum. He had any sleep. Every time he falls asleep, he gets kicked. Kicked. Seriously. (laughs) Thanks, Frodo. Seriously, man. It's all your fault, dude. I I really do love the ending of this passage. I know we talked about it when we first finished the read, but boy, the joy, the joy Uh that is just flooding his heart right now. The relief. Mm -hmm. What a moment that is. What an absolute moment. Yeah. He had dreaded this evening. I mean, and we know why. Oh, understandable. Yeah. That huge weight has been lifted. Yeah. Really wonderful stuff. And now he probably also feels a weight lifted just because he hasn't been lying to his friends all this time. Yes. They knew all along. They did. So all the trouble that they went through to prepare the house and all that stuff, it's not weighing on him anymore. The guilt for that is gone. Yeah. Yeah. That is a relief, no doubt. Well, I'm going to go and have you pick up exactly where I left off there uh, so that we can lead into this song. Wonderful stuff here. Okay. Good. That's settled. Three cheers for Captain Frodo and company, they shouted, (laughs) and they danced around him. Merry and Pippin began a song, which they had apparently got ready for the occasion. It was made on the model of the dwarf song that started Bilbo on his adventure long ago, and went to the same tune. And because I did not sing that one, I am not going to sing this one, but I will recite it. (laughs) Or at least uh, the first two stanzas of it. Yeah. Farewell, we call, to hearth and hall. Though wind may blow and rain may fall, we must away ere break of day, far over wood and mountain tall. To Rivendell, where elves yet dwell in glades beneath the misty fell. Through moor and waste we ride in haste, and whither then we cannot tell. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't sing it. It's pretty easy to sing it, right? We just picked the tune from the movie. Yeah, well, and that's so slow, though. I know, that's true. It doesn't really fit, does it? (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't it certainly doesn't fit where else yet well yeah it's, it's a little it's great for the dwarf version isn't of that it song, it's a little really martial it's got that sort yeah. of yeah but it doesn't that fit slow this. droning um yeah. which is described in the silmarillion of one of the dwarf songs yes is that the one when uh when their king dies and they, and they march off the battlefield yeah. and everybody's like get out of the way man doing that funeral dirge and everybody's just petrified they just like let him go Seriously, let him go let Don't get the dwarves way. go yeah. <laughs> right. like, let the Wookiee win. You know? Right. It's exactly. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, you're but, right. Uh, that tune doesn't quite fit for this version of the tune, but uh, for this version no. of the song. But And it's uh, interesting I, how, how much they've changed it into something hobbitish and, yeah, and oh, absolutely. You know, happy and, and positive. I mean, I can't yeah. help but think how much this is just all just all just a lark for Mary and Pippin, you know, they yeah. are afraid. They are. They I, I love that. I love that honesty that he says that we know a good deal about this. Yeah. We are horribly afraid, but yeah. we're coming with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still just, they're, they're just want, they want an adventure, you know? Yeah. I think there's some of that. I mean, especially I when you look at the, loyalty the verses loyal, here, I suppose. Yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, like this first stanza, they're, they're willing to say goodbye to the Hobbit comforts, you know, to yeah. Hearth and Hall. Uh, they know they're going to be enduring weather. Uh, leaving early, which for hobbits is you know, really, really big <laughs> that's, sacrifice. That's a stretch usually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think each of the verses really tells us something. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, uh, what was it, a page or two ago, Frodo told them, this is no there and back again adventure. Right. Yeah, totally uh, so referencing a, Bilbo. Yeah. We get a comparison or a contrast with Bilbo's adventure. And here mm-hmm. we get another comparison slash contrast with Bilbo's adventure right. because they take this song and change it into something very different. That's yeah. that's super cool. I agree. I agree. I love the uh, kind of the, the, the destination 
idea. You know, they know they're going to go yeah. to Rivendell, but they also realize it may not be the end. They no, realize right. whither then you're we right. cannot yeah. tell. They they Rather understand than... the road may go beyond that, mm-hmm. which really that's yeah. a long way for a hobbit to even be thinking of something past Bree is that's a long true. way. Yeah. Rivendell, and then to think beyond that. Whither then we cannot tell. And that that line actually comes directly from Bilbo's Road Song. Road too. Song. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. That's, it does. And we talked, you know, a few episodes ago about all the different diverging paths that are implied in that song. And I think you get a little bit of that mm-hmm. here. That's super cool. Yeah, you really do. Uh, and then even the, the recognition that there's dread chasing them, the riders, you know, more acknowledgement of the surrender of comforts, mm-hmm. you know, beneath the sky shall be our bed. Uh, but oh, there's yeah, this yeah. wonderful determination, I think, this, this hobbity see it through, you know, which I think we see with all the hobbits at different points in this story, that they're going to do this until at last our toil be passed. Only then, only when we've gotten our job only done. Only when we've work, gotten the job done will we, yeah. Will, yeah, will we stop, you know. Yeah, and rest. Sleeping and under the sky as needed, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, do what it, we'll do what it has to be done, basically. Yeah, absolutely. We'll forego any comforts we have to to get this yeah. job done. But yeah. they're going to do it early in the morning. so we're gonna uh, pick up again right after that here and see a little bit of the preparation here i think okay very good said frodo but in that case there are a lot of things to do before we go to bed under a roof for tonight at any rate oh that was poetry said pippin do you really mean to start before the break of day (laughs) (laughs) i I can't Uh, we didn't really mean any of that uh, stuff literally. You, I mean, just... I know we wrote that song, Mary, but come on. <laughs> that was that was hyperbole, right? It's just poetry. Right, dude. You know, it was just poetry. Before lunch it was is a, what you meant, right? It was a metaphor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, answered Frodo. I fear those black riders, and I am sure it is unsafe to stay in one place long, especially in a place to which it is known I was going. Also, Gildor advised me not to wait but I should very much like to see Gandalf. I could see that even Gildor was disturbed when he heard that Gandalf had never appeared. It really depends on two things. How soon could the riders get to Bucklebury? And how soon could we get off? It will take a good deal of preparation. The answer to the second question, said Mary, is that we could get off in an hour. I have prepared practically everything. There are five ponies in a stable across the fields. Stores and tackle are all packed, except for a few extra clothes and the perishable food. It seems to have been a very efficient conspiracy, said Frodo. Yeah, it was a very efficient conspiracy, wasn't it? <laughs> it was very efficient. <laughs> very indeed. efficient. I, I do love Pippin's little Which sarcastic. is interesting because conspiracies are very rarely efficient. Aren't they? You're right. They are very, by nature, very inefficient. Yeah. 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 My goodness. P- Pippin's belief that this was just poetry still cracks me up, by the way. I have <laughs> to wonder if if Pippin is admitting that they were just, you know, exaggerating about that. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that the entire song was an exaggeration? It's, it's all just an exaggeration. I, I think he actually knew full well that it was. He was just maybe throwing his his hope out there that oh, we didn't mean that. All of our wonderful speculation and our analysis of this yeah. poem, but, you know, oh, well, they're going to do whatever to... it takes to get yeah. the job done. And, you know, they're, they're not off. Pippin. No, not <laughs> it's Pippin. only to Mary. That only applies to him. No, no. I think Pippin knows what he's getting I think into. He he's just, I think he does. Again, these guys have fun with each other. They just, they, do. they joke. They, they do quite a bit. They um, kid. They kid. They kid because they love. Exactly. Um, I, I really thought it was interesting to see Frodo's very rational 
uh, kind of walkthrough of, of his of his thought process here. Well, you know, I, the, the Black Riders, I don't think it's safe to stay in, mm-hmm. in one place. And I especially don't think I should stay someplace where everybody knows I'm going. People knew I was going to. Right. Yeah. Uh, add to that the fact that Gildor told me Gildor not to wait. Gildor advised me not to wait. Yeah. On the other hand, right, so he's get, he's got his pros and cons on on leaving. Mm-hmm. And then he's got his pros and cons on staying. Well, I should like to see Gandalf because even that, even that's a problem when, when Gildor found that out. So let's think. What are the questions that will determine whether we go this way or that way? How can yeah, so he's he's very logical. It's very logical. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very practical. He's able to kind of see through the emotion of the moment, sort of drill down to the basic facts. Really thought yeah, that was that's true. A, a good a good little piece of wisdom there, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. And Mary has it all figured out, doesn't he? I mean He, he does. You're right. He can it's a very question, efficient conspiracy. You know, yeah. They could get off in an hour. He's got everything ready yep. and packed. Five ponies ready and packed. He was clearly a hobbit scout. Be prepared. That's their motto. <laughs> yes, he was. That's right. Yeah, five ponies. We should probably yeah, talk about that a little bit, shouldn't uh-huh. we? You'd notice that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, folks, if, if you're reading a first edition of Fellowship of the Ring, well, first of all, congratulations on <laughs> your means, and can you buy me one? <laughs> Secondly, though, uh, you might notice that in the first edition, Mary says there are six ponies ready. That's right. In The Return of the Shadow... History of Middle-Earth, Volume 6, we learned that in the third phase of writing, uh, Fatty, who was Odo at the time, right. he was actually going to go with the rest of them. So Mary had prepared six ponies, mm-hmm. five for the hobbits and then one for baggage instead of the five that we get here. Right. Then Odo, when hearing that they were going through the old forest, um, when he bravely suggests that he stay behind to give news to Gandalf. Brave, um, brave Sir Odo. <laughs> brave, brave, brave Sir Odo. <laughs> Sorry. He was not at all afraid to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so he stays behind, and so uh, they don't need. So they they don't need all those ponies. But somehow, right. the six ponies versus five ponies mm. didn't get fixed until later. There are four lights. Sorry, that's a Star Trek reference. That mm. only the. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm... Six ponies, five ponies. There, the, <laughs> the uh, Captain Picard was captured by a, a Cardassian who was torturing him, and one of the, the things Cardassian tried... what. The Cardassian, not a Kardashian. I don't know, man. Oh, that's, I, that's comedy gold right there. Do you there. know how much TV I have time to watch these days? Oh, I haven't watched not Star much. Trek in probably 15 years. I'm just saying. But this is one of those classic I know, Picard next is a long gen, time ago. But. Yeah, yeah. Classic next-gen moment. Uh, okay. He's, he's captured. He's being tortured. And uh, the Cardassian the guy is trying to get him to say that there are five lights when there are, are only four. Um, so when it was okay, six ponies gotcha. versus five, I thought, well, you know, I mean, that just, that I, makes sense. I that couldn't help sense. but bring that up. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And obviously I am, you know, I'm way behind on my I Star know, Trek view. I you know, know that. that's okay. I'm way behind on my Doctor Who. So, you know, yeah, uh, well, it's, I'm actually getting behind on Doctor Who rapidly, unfortunately. But <laughs> well, you know, we, I, we're kind of busy. To, we got this I'm, thing called we, a podcast. That, right. Yeah. We talk about this thing every week, folks. No time for <laughs> seriously Doctor Who and. And Star Trek Next Gen, yeah. And no Kardashians. I, I don't oh, have any man. time to watch Kardashian. the Kardashians. The, the, and if I did, I, I, I wouldn't. So, oh, that you know. is hilarious. The, 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 the idea of Kardashians as the Kardashians. <laughs> Especially when you see the Kardashians. They're not very attractive creatures. <laughs> I've Oh man! I probably put some interesting images in people's heads, and for I'm that gonna, I'm going to have to do a mashup of that one. I, I'm going to have to. And oh my! Oh my! <laughs> Keep my co-host away from Photoshop. Get please. my Photoshop skills <laughs> warmed up and ready to go. Um, 
I love mm. this. You know, we've talked about Mary being mature. I, I have to say this was a great example of that, this preparation. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we've already come to know Frodo, Sam, and Pippin through the journey uh, across the Shire, but Hammond and yeah. Skull point out that it's in this chapter, and I'm going to quote now, that Tolkien establishes Mary as a responsible, thoughtful character, able to plan and prepare, distinguishing him from the more impulsive, less mature Pippin. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a way yeah. to put it. There, Yeah. there. That's yeah. a nice way to put it. That's a subtle yeah, that's, way. That's so true. And you get that so quickly. Because you really this do. really is the first time we've spent a lot of time with Mary. And I guess yeah. um, maybe it's a, you know, just a credit to Tolkien's writing ability that he, he's smart enough to give Mary so many lines here so mm-hmm. that we get to know Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, really Mary, I, I'm noticing Mary spends so much time. I'm just listening to our voices as we're reading it. Oh, and, wow, it's Mary a lot. Yeah. Mary, Mary's talking a lot and, and that gives us a chance to get to know him. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, this responsibility, this thoughtfulness that we see in him, I, I don't know. Mary's always been one of my favorite, if not yeah. my favorite hobbit. And I, my favorite is hard to say because, well, you know, yeah. Sam is fantastic and, uh, and Frodo, Frodo is, Frodo, is great. Frodo, right. Yeah. Um, Frodo is great. great. Who's the, who's this guy? <laughs> Frodo is great. Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> Figwit yeah. You know, from the movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I like them all. Yeah, but I've, Mary has always just been one that I've just—I don't know. He's an he's underrated, just... underrated hero here. Yeah, yeah he really yeah. is. He, he, in many ways, he's the glue uh, of the early part of the fellowship. Um, hmm. It's an interest, interesting way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least in this in this beginning section, uh, you know, well, you know, until they all split up, and then yeah. he's of course the guy that that Pippin has to rely on to a large extent. You know, until Pippin sort of. Um, Kind of finds his his strengths. Yeah. Uh, after the two of them are are captured. Yeah, Mary is is obviously the the wiser, more mature one. When mm-hmm. you see those two at the beginning of Two Towers. Yeah. When they're together. Yeah. Amazing stuff. And I know we're not going to read the next little bit, which is Mary talking more, but he does give Frodo some answers about uh, you know in order to try to figure out what the best decision is. He explains, look, they could have been here by now if they weren't stopped mm-hmm. at the gate. Uh, they're they're not going to be let through at night. Uh, but but let's be honest, they could probably get through anyway. It's it's an interest it's an interesting kind of progression here. I mean, yeah, yeah, they're scary enough that the guards wouldn't just let them in. Which okay, yeah. I understand that. If they really tried to get in, if they tried to break through or they tried to attack, they're gonna get in. They, yeah, the hobbits yeah. can't hold them off. They wouldn't be able to stop for them. long. This last sentence or the last couple of sentences are the ones that that get me though. Then again, it's it's basically it's still possible that if they just walk up and ask for Mister Baggins, they might yeah. get in. <laughs> Yeah, because everybody knows you're coming here. Yeah, well, I everybody guess knows you're then coming we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess, you know, good manners will get you past a Hobbit guard. I mean, I think yeah, if yeah. They, they can be, may, and maybe that's more of that Hobbit naivete. Pardon they, my they clothing. <laughs> I'm not as scary as I appear. I'm looking for Mr. Baggin. Oh, okay. Well, come on in then, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That's... But I mean, more flies with honey than with vinegar. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, you got to wonder. Yeah, it's just interesting to me that if the if they're if they don't sense danger, if the Uh if the black riders just ask nicely enough, they'll let them in. I mean, they've got no reason to be overly suspicious. I guess even even from someone that they perceive as one of the big folk. Right. Maybe that's that's what's going on there. Especially if it's clear that they already know something. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they already know that. Everybody knows you're coming He's back. He's asking here. about Frodo. He must be. He must be on the level. Right. Yeah. Right. He already knows about about Mister Baggins, and he's he's here, so he must be legitimate. You know. Right. I don't know. It's an interesting progression of thought from Mary mm-hmm. there. 
Yeah. Well, and it certainly leads to Frodo's conclusion, which I'm going to have you go ahead and pick up. Okay. Frodo sat for a while in thought. I have made up my mind, he said finally. I am starting tomorrow as soon as it is light, but I am not going by road. It would be safer to wait here than that. If I go through the north gate, my departure from Buckland will be known at once, instead of being secret for several days at least, as it might be. And what is more, the bridge and the east road near the borders will certainly be watched, whether any rider gets into Buckland or not. We don't know how many there are, but there are at least two, and possibly more. The only thing to do is to go off in a quite unexpected direction. But that can only mean going into the old forest, said Fredegar, horrified. You can't be thinking of doing that. It is quite as dangerous as black riders. Not quite, said Mary. It sounds very desperate, but I believe Frodo is right. It is the only way of getting off without being followed at once. With luck, we might get a considerable start. But you won't have any luck in the old forest, objected Fredegar. No one ever has luck in there. You'll get lost. People don't go in there. Oh, yes, they do, said Mary. The brandy bucks go in, occasionally when the fit takes them. We have a private entrance. Frodo went in once long ago. I have been in several times, usually in daylight, of course, when the trees are sleepy and fairly quiet. That last little bit is pretty foreboding, the idea that trees might not be sleepy or fairly quiet. <laughs> That's intimidating yeah, right there. That is intimidating. And but, but I also love the idea that they have a private entrance. Can you a imagine? A private entrance into the old forest. Yeah, I know. part of the listing, too. Yeah. Eight bedrooms, four baths, three pantries, on a half acre bordering the old forest with a private entrance. <laughs> exactly. Well done. <laughs> you, could, you could write Hobbit real estate listing. This estate I, could I be yours for $1.4 whatever currency. A regular using. Warren, by all accounts. <laughs> oh, goodness. Good stuff. Yeah. Frodo makes his decision, and he makes a decision that, at this point, I don't think anybody had thought he would make. Not just to go, but to go in a totally unexpected direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to wait until daybreak. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't think He's there's a point in trying to get out now. We need to get rest. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's going to be but some But he was talking about going at once for a while. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> and Fatty's reaction to this is just... Oh, isn't it? It's just <laughs> Hobbit comedy gold. It is. Uh, overreaction, really. I mean, oh, yeah. The old forest, really? Is it as dangerous as Black Riders? No. <laughs> he can't possibly know how dangerous Black Riders are. <laughs> exactly, right. And, and having never gone into the old forest, he can't know how dangerous the he old can't. forest is. <laughs> That is so true. You, yeah. <laughs> Let me that, compare that, one thing I don't know to another thing I don't know. <laughs> it is it is a rare gift to be able to balance balance complete certainty with complete lack of any information. <laughs> Fatty Bulger, he's your guy. Oh man, I can think of several sad contemporary examples of, of a complete sure lack of could. knowledge with a complete confidence with utter in your certainty. Opinion. Oh yes, yeah, there are yeah. way too many. Too many. The oh, hobbits goodness. are a uh, Dunning-Kruger effect in, uh, in action sometimes. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh, goodness. Great, great stuff. Uh, so Mary explains that he's, you know, he's on board with this, certainly. Pippin, we'll see, um, is also on board. We don't read that particular part. But, you know, <laughs> good old Fredegar. Uh-uh. No. No way. I'm not going in the forest. <laughs> Nothing you can say is going to make me go in there. <laughs> Nothing you can say. Oh, but he does say, well, my vote hardly counts because I'm not going anyway, so. Right. 
Now, that, of course, right. was not always the plan, right? We know from from right. the earlier part of the story he was going to be uh, he going. He was going to but, go, yeah. But not this time. Uh, we do get a little background on his family, that they came from the East Farthing, from Budgeford, as you talked about. I think that's what I was thinking of was Budgeford. Oh, yeah. Uh, Budge. As being, that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, kind of similar to, to Bulge. Especially yeah, when combined I, with Bolger, Bolger. And I Bunchford. wonder. I don't. I don't have any word nerdery on that. I, I bet you. I wonder if that's. I a, think there is something, but it was. It was just more like, well, clearly this is designed to you know conjure up this image of of Bulge and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah, budgy, pudgy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Poor old fatty. <laughs> yeah, he's not. <laughs> it's it's a good thing he's not going. Really, I mean, it, it is. He. <laughs> He would he's be a, a good a guy. He's a good pile egg, of you know? goo by the time they got even to Bree. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, because the old force does turn out to be dangerous. You know, it that's does. the thing. It does, but it's not Black Rider dangerous. I mean. Well, no, no. Though the old man Willow is, is more successful at capturing hobbits than the Black Riders are. <laughs> oh, well, that is a good point. <laughs> well, there's that. There is that. That's true. But, I mean, really, I mean. What do you have to do? How how inattentive do you have to be to be captured by a non-moving object? Well, we'll find out soon, won't we? Yeah, we will, actually, yeah. So, but not quite yet. In fact, first no. what we're going to get is the dream. And I'm going to go oh. ahead and read the last couple of I've been of waiting for this moment for a long time. Long this is, time. This, this is dream is fascinating, isn't it? I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, it is. So we're going we're gonna to talk at length about that. But first, we have to read it. When at last he had gone to bed, Frodo could not sleep for some time. His legs ached. He was glad that he was riding in the morning. Eventually, he fell into a vague dream in which he seemed to be looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees. Down below, among the roots, there was the sound of creatures crawling and snuffling. He felt sure they would smell him out sooner or later. Then he heard a noise in the distance. At first he thought it was a great wind coming over the leaves of the forest. Then he knew that it was not leaves but the sound of the sea far off, a sound he had never heard in waking life, though it had often troubled his dreams. Suddenly he found he was out in the open. There were no trees after all. He was on a dark heath, and there was a strange salt smell in the air. Looking up, he saw before him a tall white tower, standing alone on a high ridge. A great desire came over him to climb the tower and see the sea. He started to struggle up the ridge towards the tower. But suddenly, a light came in the sky, and there was a noise of thunder. Well, well, well. That is such a, a powerful passage. It is. And it's, uh, there is a lot, there, there's a lot that I want to say about it, and there's a lot that we want to say about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's just worth just kind of pausing and taking a moment just to appreciate just the, the imagery of it. I mean, there's the, a, yeah, the imagery is very vivid. Uh, yeah. You can certainly picture every one of those things, every one of those moments. And you can even picture that odd transition that happens, you know, when you have a dream and you're in place A and then you're in place B and yes. they're, they're nowhere near yeah. the same. And yet it feels like nothing and yet has it feels happened. Natural. Yeah. There's no interruption. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that this is such a vividly described dream, and Tolkien uses the word vague to describe it. Isn't it? I thought the same thing. I wonder, vague, I, really? But I think what's vague about it is the meaning. I, I really think... Must be, yeah. There's That's a lack of it. clarity as to what this really is. 
even mm-hmm. the first bit, the first part of the snuffling, for example, that made me think, and I, I suspect in context, it makes a lot of readers think of the Nazgul, the black riders that are chasing him. But, but really, when you know the rest of the story, this seems to be foreshadowing that night that he spends in the trees in Lothlorien when the orcs go by and then Gollum starts climbing up the tree. Remember that? Yes, I do remember that. And that's, that's what this really that's seems really to interesting be foreboding. Because, I mean, you're, you're right talking about being high up in the trees. Yeah. That is really interesting. I mean, I, that's the only thing I could think of. I wonder if it needs to be one or the other. I mean, I wonder mm. you know, because this is yeah, that's a good point. It's a dream. This is dream logic. He he could be yeah. There yeah. could be foreshadowing about the future. While simultaneously, of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, simultaneously remembering something from the past. Maybe he's yeah. maybe his subconscious is taking something, some some foreknowledge of the future, and putting that in terms that he can understand based on his past. Because right with the snuffling, yeah. With the snuffling that that reminds us of the Black Riders. That that's a really good point about it sounding like Lothlorien, though. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just the first thing I thought of was that moment when, uh, what Legolas comes up and he says, you know, Ich, and uh, and then and then that later moment when it's even creepier and you realize it's Gollum coming up the tree, mm-hmm. and how there's yeah. like I don't know what that was. That was no orc, and uh, yeah. Mm. You know, we saw this uh, in the Hobbit. There were a few times where we would see these dreams that you know, oh, Bilbo yeah, has yeah. these really meaningful dreams. Like the dreams one he had and, on the uh, the eagle's airy, yeah. Yeah, and and I want to talk about that one in a little bit. But, uh, oh, but okay. Yeah, it's um, he has a few of these, and um, I'm trying to remember how many. But I, I feel like there were at there least three or four different times in The Hobbit yeah, yeah. where we talked about Bilbo having sort of a foreboding or kind of foreknowledge dream. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Foreknowledge, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Foreknowledge, foreknowledgeful. Um, <laughs> that seems to be what what Frodo is having here, uh, yeah. and it's it's just such a great moment. And it's really the second part, though. I think that's, that's what really I was about the, to say because that's the where deep, the deep part. Ooh, yeah, this is really interesting. Let's, uh, you know, what, what do we get? We get the sound of the sea. We get there's no trees. Mm-hmm. He's on a heath. Uh, that's that's not a heath bar, by the way. For those thinking about English toffee, that's not the same thing. Um, well, now I'm hungry. Thank you. I know. I love Heath bars. Uh, They're delicious. They really are. The salt smell and then the tall white tower. And boy, that makes me think of so many different things. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. No kidding. Yep. And we'll talk about some of those, I think. Um, oh, yeah, we will. A lot of them. Go ahead. Because <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I think we're going to find it means a lot of things at once. Um, That's the thing. That's, I think, why it is a vague dream, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just this, but then this sudden break in the dream, the sudden noise of thunder right. and the light in the sky, right as the he's end. beginning to head up. Yeah. Um, cutting Isn't it always off. that way? That dreams seem to get yeah. ended when there's this massive noise or light. And in yeah. this case, he gets both the light and the thunder. Yeah. And the thunder yeah. rolls. I, I actually don't remember <laughs> the tune, but you know, the Garth Brooks song. I do remember the tune and I'm not going to sing it. No. I live in Texas. Oh, of course you and do. I, so you're you like, know. like Garth Brooks sings your state anthem at every event, right? <laughs> I used to play league pool and I, I remember a lot of Garth Brooks songs coming on at the, uh, at the pool hall. You know, I never learned his stuff, but I remember being told when I was a little younger uh, that I looked like him. I mean, all the time by total strangers. I can see that. Uh, and then I don't know if he changed his look or I changed mine. I haven't heard it in ages. Um, but uh, I, I kept thinking maybe it's, I should just, you know, learn his stuff and put on a hat, but I'm just not a country music You guy, could have so. become a, a Garth Brooks uh, impersonator, Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I figured there's probably not much money in that. 
Uh, this is going to crack you up, but the celebrity <laughs> that I used to be told that I looked like, uh, and this is back when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was younger. I was slimmer. <laughs> Don't weren't we all, man? I looked better overall. Um, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was frequently told Are that I looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Me? I am not kidding you. Because I, I don't see that at all. I, can't I was see frequently that at all. told that I looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger when, when my, I guess, when my face was skinnier, and I just, I, we do not kind because of have you a were buff, jaw. right? No, no, not at all. No, it was, it was my face. <laughs> it was okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Interesting. That prominent chin. Yeah, the prominent yeah, chin. Yeah, that yeah. I have and, okay, I can see that. Um, the, there's a similar facial shape there, uh, yeah. but, I, but I always had the same reaction you just had, like. <laughs> like I look like Schwarzenegger. Have, have you looked at me from the neck Seriously? down? Because no, I, I do not. <laughs> and please don't don't hold me up to that standard. No, no, no. We were we were young. We were young and foolish then. I feel old and foolish now. Oh, very nice. Oh, that was a they it's might be giants reference. We had a right? they might be giants reference. Yeah. Confidentially, she never told me of her charms. Confidentially, <laughs> we never <laughs> had a home. This railroad apartment was a lovely place. Anyway, we have digressed so very, very, very Yeah, far. we really should get back on topic. We really should. This is like those vague dreams, though, people. We're trying to give you the experience. Of being in a dream, of just going from one place to the next. Where it's random and it flits and you have no, no idea. idea where it's going next. Or why it's going there. You just got to follow along. That's yeah. right. And so much of this might get edited out. <laughs> I hope not too much. So, so very much. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. So let's get back. The sea, the sound of the sea, the salt smell. Now that we've mm-hmm. absolutely alienated everybody. We, <laughs> by by not would, just getting to the point about this Seriously. Dream. People are like, would um, you shut up? I fast forwarded two minutes and you're still not talking about the dream. <laughs> talk about the dream, you guys. Let's go ahead and talk about the dream, guys. Yeah, let's do that. Um, All right. Yes. Uh, it's It's interesting. Uh, for lots of reasons. And I want to start with, uh, with an observation from Hammond and Skull. They pointed out that it turns out this is what's left of a much longer dream. And I'm quoting from Hammond and right, Skull here. From the Reader's Guide, yeah. A much longer dream, which Tolkien introduced into the narrative in autumn 1939 to explain Gandalf's absence. Hmm. Gandalf has been pursued by Black Riders and has taken refuge in a tower. Black Riders are watching the tower, but withdraw when summoned by another rider. Then a gray-mantled figure on a white horse makes his escape. Mm. Now, it turns out that Tolkien wasn't quite sure when Frodo should have this dream. Uh At one point, he put it in Bree, having Frodo wake up when Trotter opened the curtains. Okay. He moved it here to Crick Hollow, but then he ended up having to modify it Mm. when he changed Mm -hmm. Gandalf's storyline to the storyline that we now know from the finished novel, where Gandalf is actually imprisoned by Saruman at Orthanc, not being pursued by Black Riders. Right, right. Well, you know, Christopher Tolkien observes, and this is in The Treason of Isengard, he says, quote, The tall white tower of Frodo's dream at Crick Hollow in the final tale remains from what was the precursor to Orthanc, and the thunder that he heard goes back to the interruption of his dream by Trotter's thrusting back the shutters at the Prancing Pony. Oh, there's a Trotter moment. <laughs> yes. I love those Trotter moments. Yeah. That is a fascinating little peek behind the curtain as to mm-hmm. where this this uh, passage originally yeah. came from. The what, origin what and it why it's shorter now. And yeah. Yeah. But despite that very straightforward explanation of this dream. There, oh, you're not going to be like satisfied with straightforward. You want something really. Never. No, I want something and... extremely complicated. I want of some course. dream logic. Where, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's definitely more than one way to read this. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. In Splintered Light, Verlin Flieger mm-hmm. compares this dream of a tower 
to another tower that we discussed not too long that's ago. That's right. Uh, I'm speaking of the tower in the allegory that's in Tolkien's essay, Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics. That's right. Now, folks, if you don't know about that one, maybe you've skipped our non <laughs> our non Lord oh, of the Rings episodes. How dare you. Or our Hobbit episodes. Please go check out episode 92 for that one uh, if yeah. you haven't already. Um, covering Tolkien's essay on Beowulf, uh, really crucial essay, transformed the Truly transformed is. the critical sphere around that poem. But Flieger says this, in this passage, both sea and tower are actual. And she means unlike in the Beowulf essay, where it's all an allegory. Right. Moreover, she says, both have greater significance in the previous history of the Silmarillion than in the Lord of the Rings. And that goes back to all those different white towers you were talking about a moment ago. Uh Flieger goes on to say, the reader, however, does not need to know that history in order for the passage to be effective. The episode invites comparison with the final line of the allegory in the Beowulf essay. And that's the last sentence in which Tolkien says, but from the top of that tower, the man had been able to look out upon the sea. Right. I love that. That just caps a beautiful allegory. Uh, And although Flieger explains the allegory in the Beowulf essay, the tower is the poem itself, the stone is the language, and so on, she does say there is no allegorical correlative to the sea, and the vision thus suggested cannot be tied to any specific meaning. Mm -hmm. That's right. But in both instances, both the allegorical tower in the Beowulf essay and the actual tower in Frodo's dream, Flieger says, the effect comes less from the images of tower and sea than from the stated or implied desire to climb up and Mm. look outward to the immense unknown. Tolkien's use of this idea in both the essay and The Lord of the Rings suggests that for him it transcended allegory to express an indefinable but very real attribute of the human psyche, the desire to seek something without knowing what it is. Mm. So I have to ask, is that what's going on in Frodo's dream here? Is he seeking something? without knowing what it is. And that brings me back to that dream in the Eagle's Airy. That's right. At the end of chapter six of The Hobbit, uh, he was at the the Eagle's Airy, and he'd just been rescued from the wolves. And he dreamed, and the quote from that is, he dreamed of his own house and wandered in his sleep into all his different rooms, looking for something that he could not find nor remember what it looked like. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And and I think we talked then when we covered that chapter of The Hobbit, we talked about, you know, what is he looking for? Is he looking yeah. for his Baggins nature that he's he's starting mm-hmm. to see recede as the toque starts to come out? Is he looking for the ring? Yeah. Um, we, we didn't, I don't think we really had anything definitive. I don't know that we settled on we, anything. No, no. I don't think we did. Well, we, had I a mean, bunch of, we had a bunch of fun ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's how dreams work, you know. It's, yeah, that's true. There's there's usually not one, one, one fixed really clear definition. way to read them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there's one more vision of the sea that that Frodo's dream reminds me of, uh, and it's absolutely serendipitous that I made this connection, because just uh-huh. this past weekend, I was rereading uh, Of Two Or and Is Coming to Gondolin. Oh. That's the, uh, the incomplete story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know where I'm going with I, this. I do. I do. Man, that is... <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't have gone there without having just recently read it. That's... That's exactly it. Yeah. It was. It. it was published in Unfinished Tales originally for folks who didn't hear all of our season one episodes. It's now available in the fall of Gondolin volume. Um, mm-hmm. And I was rereading that just recently. And I came across this passage right after Tuor has just been given his great mission by Ulmo. It says, and thereupon Ulmo lifted up a mighty horn 
and blew upon it a single great note, to which the roaring of the storm was but a wind flaw upon a lake. And as he heard that note, and was encompassed by it, and filled with it, it seemed to Tuor that the coasts of Middle-earth vanished, and he surveyed all the waters of the world in a great vision, from the veins of the lands to the mouths of the rivers, and from the strands and estuaries out into the deep. The great sea he saw through its unquiet regions teeming with strange forms. Well, it goes on for a bit, and it's lovely, but it's long, so I'll go ahead and skip to the end here. Oh, okay, yeah, probably. Until remote, upon the edge of sight, and beyond the count of leagues, he glimpsed a mountain, rising beyond his mind's reach into a shining cloud, and at its feet a long surf glimmering. And even as he strained to hear the sound of those far waves, and to see clearer that distant light, the note ended, and he stood beneath the thunder of the storm, oh. and lightning many-branched rent asunder the heavens above him. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> very similar to Frodo's dream, yeah. I have to yeah. say. you The structure of it, I mean, you start with a noise of the sea. Mm -hmm. um, in Tuor's vision, it's Ulmo's horn very clearly. In Frodo's right. dream, it's more, you know, just a, a sea just, noise. Right. But then you've got, you know, the, the beholder kind of feeling their surroundings receding into the background, sort of uh -huh. feeling themselves exposed, you know. Yeah. Um, just kind of out there in it. And then you get this desire to see something that they can't see without some effort. Yeah. And then it's broken. Then thunder breaks the vision or wow. breaks the dream. Wow. Those are similar. Yeah. It, it was it was very striking when I yeah. when I read that passage I can shortly why. after reading this passage. Now, in Tuor's case, that was a vision that he had been given by Ulmo, and that was a, mm -hmm. a sort of a glimpse of the future that he's right, being right. called upon to set into motion. So I have to ask: Is Frodo being called by this dream? Mm. And I should probably say called with a capital C. I mean, is this yeah, yeah. you know is this the first clue to his subconscious that? He is the one who is going to have to see the quest through, that he's the one who's fated to do this. You know, is this a vocational call for him? Huh. Um, yeah. and, and is he also getting a glimpse of his future that lies off in the West, beyond the oh. White Towers, beyond wow. the sea? Wow. Maybe. I keep thinking of what we learn in the Aina Lindelay. It mm -hmm. is said by the Eldar that in water there lives yet the echo of the music of the Ainur more than in any substance else that is in this earth. Mm -hmm. And many of the children of Iluvatar hearken still unsated to the voices of the sea, and yet know not for what they listen. That goes back to that it whole... It does. The, to the Bilbo thing, not knowing what he's yep. looking for. Yeah. Yep. And, and that goes to... back to Flieger's observation of not... Yeah. Wow. Not knowing what they're looking for. Uh-huh. And I wonder if there's something of, you know, that, that water in Frodo's dream... Yeah. Kind of giving him a little taste of the music of the Ainur. Maybe he is seeing a little bit of, of the music, you know, these, the, the of the music, seeing wow. these patterns of fate, seeing his place in it, seeing what his, what he is fated to do and maybe seeing the choices before him mm. in his free will. In a, in a way that he's not going to be able to comprehend without that context. For, for in, some in time. A dream. Yeah. 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 My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there and it's, um, you know, there's no certain answer. That's for sure. No, uh, but it's certainly worth. I'd love to hear uh, people's thoughts, though, because that's I would too. That's something that's it's just I've been having a lot of fun with it for the last couple of days. And yeah, I'd love to hear other people's interpretations of this. I would as well. Well, as Frodo sleeps it off, what did he drink at dinner? I'm wondering. 
Uh, we, <laughs> we are putting the final touches. Ulmo's finest brew. Ulmo's finest. Some IPA from from uh, Ulmo or from um, <laughs> for Ase's probably got like an IPA. Actually, it's, Ase probably does homebrew his own IPA. Yeah. 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 So uh, <laughs> while Frodo does sleep that off, we are putting the final touches on the episode of Special Magnificence that is our eleventy-first. That's right. And thanks again to all of you who submitted your favorite moments from the show. We had a really hard time narrowing it down, yeah. but we think you'll like the results. So please be sure to join us for the party next week. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to Barlaman's bag, we want to give you a brief reminder about the fellowship of the podcast. As you've heard us mention recently, we are really close to our next goal of setting up a Discord server. Folks, you want a chance to listen in live? Simple. Be sure to visit patreon.com slash prancingponypod. You'll also get access to exclusive content when you join at the Gift of Gondor level or higher. And if you're looking for a new Tolkien book, check out the official library pages at our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where we've put together a set of links for our listeners to all the Tolkien books we've ever talked about on the show. And if you wouldn't mind posting a review on iTunes, we'd be grateful for that. As I say in every episode, I think, it increases Mm -hmm. our visibility. That means more new listeners, more great questions for Barlamin, more discussion on social media, and a bigger, more exciting Tolkien community. Absolutely. And folks, we do appreciate it if you share us on social media. That's very helpful. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever there are Tolkien fans. Now, with that done, it's time to see what old Barnumman has in the mailbag for us tonight. Sean? Okay. Well, we will start today with something from listener and patron Tim I in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Less of a question and more of a speculation, I suppose. Uh, And I will paraphrase it a little bit. Uh, but not too much. Okay. Tim says he's been thinking a lot about the ring. And I would say, Tim, that's very uh, dangerous. Yeah, you might want to watch out. Don't think too much about the ring. That was Saruman's problem right there. You say, right. You saw what happened when he did that. <laughs> no, all kidding aside, Tim says, it seems like the ring always has a sense of internal agency to work towards furthering Sauron's ends, unless opposed by a nobler will. While Sauron was dissipated after the Battle of the Last Alliance, the ring was unhurt. Tim says, I find it hard to believe with orcs nearby at the river the ring would not have reached out to bend their wills into locating it and emerging from the riverbed. I've been thinking about what might have been opposing the ring's maleficent will that still contained a great piece of Sauron's power. Hmm. Tim says, I keep coming back to Ulmo, the one Vala that kept a presence in Arda past the, the marring continuously via water, and he intervened in the past independently without involving the other Valar, mm-hmm. uh, for example, sending True. Turgon to Gondolin and commanding Tuor to go to Gondolin, like we were just talking about, Yeah, yeah. Uh, leading to you know the joining of elves and men. Uh, saving Elwing from the true, waves. True, yeah. Ulmo seems to advance the lines of Iluvatar's music, Tim says, often independently huh. of the Valar. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we learn in that same episode that I was just reading from of Tuor and his coming to Gondolin, we learn about how Ulmo is sort of that uh, that independent voice, yeah. right? The, uh, the voice that job. gainsayeth, I think he says. Yeah, that's that his job. That is his job. That's right. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, well, you know, I, that's a, an interesting speculation. I mean, certainly Ulmo would be aware of the presence of the ring, as Tim says. Uh, he continues to say, as he is of all things where his waters touched, even mm-hmm. to the roots of the mountains. The question then is, is, could Ulmo have been responsible or partly responsible for making sure that the ring stayed hidden in the depths of the Anduin until the right time to be found by Smeagol, who would just happen to drive the ring far underground so that Saruman and Sauron wouldn't be able to find it, uh, and that the ring could then be found at just the right time by just the right person, Bilbo, that Gandalf just knew in his core had to be the lucky number. I thought those are Tim's questions there. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? 
Well, going on with just one more thing that, that Tim said, and he said, it feels like these all speak to Ulmo being a part of Spabimi. Yay, Spabimi. Um, always with the Spabimi. I love the way Tim puts this. He says, advancing the crescendos of Iluvatar's music at key inflection points. Oh, nicely said. Yeah. To basically to make sure that his children are successful. And I don't know. I mean, Alan, you know, we huh. do tend to talk about these moments being the hand of Iluvatar. Um, right, right. But. What do you think? I mean, could Ulmo have had a role in this as an agent of Iluvatar and as the one who often works to support the music when the other Valar don't? Well, you know, I mean, it's certainly possible. I, I could see him playing a role in the continued hiding of the ring at the bottom of the Anduin. I think it might be taking it a step too far to think that he was waiting for Smeagol and certainly too far to, to think that he might have been looking forward in time to Bilbo's finding of the ring. I think that might be a bit of a stretch. Um if he was involved, I can really only see his power extending to the water itself uh, just because of his nature. So I don't think the finding of the ring on the dark cave floor would be part of his action. That's that's definitely more Iluvatar's direct intervention. Um, but but as to the ring's uh, failure, if you will, to, to call on the orcs and say, come find me and take me back to Sauron, <laughs> um, I, I do want to read a passage from the disaster of the Gladden Fields that gives us something to think about. The orcs could know nothing of the One Ring which, saved to Sauron himself, was known only to the nine ringwraiths, its slaves. Yet many have thought that the ferocity and determination of their assault on Isildur was in part due to the ring. It was little more than two years since it had left his hand, and though it was swiftly cooling, it was still heavy with his evil will, and seeking all means to return to its lord, as it did again when he recovered and was rehoused. So it is thought, although they did not understand it, the orc chiefs were filled with a fierce desire to destroy the Dunedain and capture their leader. So mm-hmm, That's right. So the ring was calling to them. Yeah. It was at least calling to them when they attacked. Uh-huh, maybe uh-huh. after Isildur went into the river, it, maybe it, maybe they couldn't hear it at that point. But Over they here, could guys. hear it before. <laughs> no, you're looking in the Almost, wrong place. Colder. Almost colder. drowning it out. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, yeah, goodness. it must have been. It must have had the ability to call to them, uh, and that that's what maybe call is the too attack. strong a word. I I think it's <sighs> to lure. To, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe not call in in a way that there's they could a understand, subconscious because obviously sense. They don't understand. There's a subconscious yeah. sense here that is driving them the way the will of Sauron would drive them if they were in mm-hmm. his presence. You know, the way they would fight against oh. the Dunedain if so Sauron were physically present. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's 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 Sauron's will uh embedded yeah. in the ring if you will yeah. that is making them fight the way they would fight if he were physically present. Which oh, is that's with, with much more much more uh you know passion and, and energy and all of this but that's I don't know, there's, interesting. There's so something. you don't you don't think that they're drawn to the ring at all for that. I, you don't think no, that I do. I, it's any kind of a beacon to Isildur. I think it's because the ring is a beacon yeah. that that, that that's why they're drawn to it. They're drawn to it yeah. because it's got the power of their master. Yeah, but, you I, know, no, I agree with that. But you're right. It's not a call. It's not It's, it's not, not like, hey, guys, over come here. Come pick me up. Right, exactly. Because if it were, then they would understand it. If, right. it. if it's a whatever signal it's sending, it's one that they're not completely able to pick up on. Because it certainly didn't stop sending the signal just because Isildur got shot through the throat. You know, I mean, he right when, when he's on the other side of the, you know, when, when he tries to escape and it gets to the other side of the river and then he's shot. Um, that ring, well, the ring fell off before he was shot, but they, yeah. the ring wouldn't have been stopping its signal just because it fell off of Isildur's fingers. 
Right. So the, I think the question is, does the ring not stop its signal, but is the ring signal somehow muted or blocked by Ulmo? Once Do your underwater voice. Help me find uh, me a human Help me, guys. I'm over here. <laughs> it's been so long since we heard your underwater voice. My my rejected Ulmo voice from uh, from this very <laughs> section of of the Silmarillion. That is absolutely right. I was like, no way. Guys. I'm not going to let you do Ulmo like that. No. Uh, <laughs> never, man. never, never. Never. Not never. once. Um, I'm the voice that gets up. Uh, it is. <laughs> we are going to be here all night. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Don't ever do it again. <laughs> I won't. I will never again. I'm oh, sorry, Olmo. Good. Gonna go yeah. and apologize to a river. I wouldn't. If I were you, I would oh. not go near the beach for the next few years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cancel my surfing trips. Yeah. A Texas yeah. man was killed today when a rogue wave <laughs> knocked him off the beach in Santa Monica. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. I was just on the pier and out of nowhere came this, this huge this... wave. And the only guy that came that fell off was this dude from Texas. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And the last thing I heard before I was dragged <laughs> yeah. under was who's laughing now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Back on track. <laughs> It's good stuff, though. <laughs> when we when we insult the Valar, yeah, um, it's an interesting speculation. All this is, is interesting it speculation. Is. Oh, whether Ulmo might have had some some role in this. Uh, we do usually refer to this being simply the hand of Iluvatar. Uh, but even if Ulmo was involved, that doesn't mean that it wasn't the hand That's of Iluvatar. Right. That's right. You know, right. we discussed recently with the question of. Gandalf nudging events in the right mm -hmm. direction. Iluvatar's yep, yep. will is often accomplished through the Ainur. That uh, those that that fancy word vicegerents. The That's right. Of them. The one that I thought was vice regents, but no, it was vicegerents. You were right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's no, an interesting right. word. Yeah. I mean, certainly we, the hand of Iluvatar can work through certainly his most powerful tools, the Valar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we do see Ulmo push things in the Silmarillion, just as Tim points out, the dreams he sends to Finrod and Turgon to, you know, make them go build Nargothrond yeah. and Gondolin, uh, sending Tuor to Gondolin. And as we've said, he he often acts independently of the other Valar. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and as you said, we know that in water there lives that echo of the music of the Ainur. So it does mm. seem that Ulmo has some special insight into the music oh, yeah. and yeah. into Iluvatar's plan. Um, Yes, I know the Silmarillion also says Manway understands most clearly his purposes. Right. But Ulmo's definitely got He's right something. up there. He's right He's up got, there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say at a minimum, water is a powerful substance in Arda. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that it was exactly that substance that hid the ring at the bed of the Anduin for nearly 2,500 <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to believe that Ulmo may have been directly involved in that part of it. Yeah, I'd certainly lean that direction. I mean, even if his involvement went no further than just the hiding of the ring for a time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, agreed. So okay. good one, Tim. Thank you. We had some, probably way too much fun with it. Um, <laughs> following that, we've got a question from another patron. This one came from Daniel D. in Portland, Oregon, and it concerns the events of this very episode. Now, this is a long question, so I will paraphrase this one a little bit. When Mary offers the help of the conspiracy to Frodo at Crick Hollow, he says, we know the ring is no laughing matter, but we are going to do our best to help you against the enemy. So he's making it very clear that the conspirators do know 
not only about the ring's existence, but also that the enemy, Sauron, is looking mm, for it. True. That information came from Sam, of course, of whom Mary says, Here's our collector of information, and he collected a lot, I can tell you, before he was finally caught, after which I may say he seemed to regard himself as on parole and dried up. Hmm. So Daniel asks about that quote specifically. If Sam dried up after he was caught, that is, after he was caught by Gandalf in the Shadow of the Past, which was April of that year, mm -hmm. when did he have the chance to tell Mary, Pippin, and Fatty about the significance of the ring and the fact that it is no laughing matter? Until that day, all the conspiracy knew about the ring is that it existed and that it made the wearer disappear, which is what Mary already knew he had figured out after right. watching Bilbo escape from the Sackville Bagginses. Right. Paraphrasing the rest of Daniel's question, he said, if Sam's report of the information he learned the night Gandalf caught him is the only reason the conspiracy knows the ring is no laughing matter, and if Sam dried up after he was caught, well, then when did he have a chance to tell the rest of the conspiracy all this information that he had learned? Mm -hmm. Or did the conspiracy form only after Frodo's friends began to notice his strange behavior, saying things like, shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder, uh, <laughs> which would have to have been after he decided to depart. But that would have been after the talk with Gandalf and after Sam supposedly dried up. Uh, in which case, how huh. could Sam before have been the information gatherer for a, a conspiracy that didn't exist? Huh. Interesting questions. Daniel, yeah, apologies yeah. for having to cut that a little bit. Uh, I hope I I hope it captured the gist of it well enough. But yeah. uh, Alan, do you want to start on that one? Sure, I'm happy to do that. I mean, for starters, the conspiracy was indeed formed after that conversation with Gandalf in April when Frodo's mm -hmm. friends started noticing a strange behavior. Uh, Mary makes that clear in this chapter. He says, ever since this spring, we have kept our eyes open and done a good deal of planning on our own account. So it seems clear enough that the April meeting is what he's referring to. I agree. Yeah. So in Shadow of the Past, Sam wasn't eavesdropping for the conspiracy because it didn't exist until afterward. Sam must have just been eavesdropping because he wanted to know what Frodo and Gandalf were talking about. Now, after Sam learned all that, and after Gandalf decided Sam would go with Frodo, then at some point he must have filled in Merry and Pippin. Either they started noticing Frodo's strange behavior and started wondering aloud, or maybe even Sam volunteered the information. And I think all that's backed up by Sam's defense of himself in this chapter. As we talked about, Sam said, I meant no wrong to you, Mr. Frodo, nor to Mr. Gandalf, for that mm, matter. Yeah, yeah. He has some sense, mind you. And when you said go alone, he said, no, take someone as you can trust. That's right. I meant no wrong to Mr. Frodo or Mr. Gandalf. Now, that means he must have known that they might perceive it as wrong. Mm, yeah. Which means he must have shared the information with the conspiracy after they told him to keep his mouth shut. And Gandalf never explicitly told Sam not to tell anyone, did he? I, I mean, he did right. say he told, Frodo not. he told Frodo. Yeah, he said sending him with Frodo would shut his mouth. Right. But then it was Frodo who told Sam to keep it dead secret and said he hoped Gandalf would turn him into a toad if he told anyone. <laughs> and then right. later on, Gandalf told Frodo to see that Sam Gamgee does not talk, but he doesn't seem to have said that directly to Sam. Huh. Exactly. That's interesting. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I guess the most logical explanation would be that Sam read between the lines and he knew that Gandalf wouldn't mind him sharing the news with others yeah. if, if and only if, those others were people that Frodo could trust. Yeah, I agree. That supports the theory that Sam shared the news after the conversation in April and after he was caught. Mm -hmm. now, now, clearly the conspiracy has gotten information from Sam as recently as that very day. Merry and Pippin know that Frodo plans to leave Crick Hollow immediately without even waiting a day. But Frodo didn't decide that until the beginning of chapter four, which was that morning. Mm, and he right. told Sam in confidence while Pippin was running on the turf and singing. I remember that moment. 
<laughs> because Pippin. Yeah, because Pippin. It, it seems, frankly, that we just can't take Mary's words too literally when he says Sam dried up after being caught. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and yeah. I think that's not too surprising. I mean, we've been talking about this for a few episodes now, the way the hobbits talk to each other and about each other. They just they just kind of mess with each other. They yeah. rip each other all the time. Frodo and Pippin trade these barbs on the road. Pippin, uh-huh. Pippin asking Sam if he's gotten the bathwater hot. I mean, they just <laughs> they yeah. just kind of mess with each other as yeah. guys do sometimes. And, and, and maybe this is more of the same. Sam obviously hasn't dried up completely. But maybe he hasn't told Mary and Pippin everything, and maybe Mary's giving him kind of a hard time about that. Yeah, maybe. It, it may also be that Mary's trying to protect him by telling Frodo, you know, we haven't gotten everything out of him. That could be, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's dried up a lot, so, you know, we're, we're not getting everything. But Don't worry, he hasn't revealed all your secrets to us. Right, yeah, right, maybe exactly. so. Maybe. But clearly know. he has told them quite a bit. Oh, yeah, 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 he certainly has. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. So please be sure to join us again next week when we learn that all roads don't lead to Rome, but to the Withywindle. Well, all the roads in the old forest, at least. Well, true. Folks, thanks again for listening, and thank you for making our common room on Facebook such a fun place to spend time. We want all of you to be a part of this conversation, and it does not stop when the episode ends. See the comments, questions, corrections, and more on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and on Instagram at Prancing Pony Pod. And a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kierdance Contribution Tier. To May in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamson in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, and Chad in Texas. Thank you all. Make sure you don't miss an episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and most of all, your songs that trees love to hate to Parliament at theprancingponypodcast.com and We'll try to get them into our next show. Well, however long we've had, it's still far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. <laughs> <laughs>